Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast. Don't worry. And now, going on with the show. Maya, did you bring your hard hat into the studio today? You know, I did actually used to own a hard hat. Yeah, why is that? Because I used to work on a building site. Okay, must have many opportunities for suspension points. <laughs> It was a bit before my rope uh, bondage um, time, but yes, I would imagine. So anyway, why do we need our hard hats? Strap on your hard hat because today I'm taking you on the walk into the world of risk mitigation. Oh, how sexy does that sound? I mean, the hard hat has its pros and cons. Okay. So Maya, rope bondage is risky. We have been saying that in the intro of this podcast for more than three years now. We definitely have. So we strongly believe it. But we love it. So why do we keep doing it if it's if it's risky? Because the risk reward ratio is currently more reward than risk. But okay. we try and mitigate those risks where we can. So, so you have the risk reward ratio, and the smaller you can make the risk, the better the ratio is going to be. Exactly. So let's define some terms for our audience first. So first of all, what is a risk? A risk, Maya, is something that we don't want to happen. If it was up to us, we wouldn't have it, but we understand that it might happen. All right. And how can we understand risk? Usually, there are two dimensions to classify a risk. It's its likelihood and its severity. So okay. likelihood is there a big chance of that happening or a really small chance of that happening? Like struck by lightning, probably small chance. And severity, what would be the impact if that did happen? If I do get struck by lightning, what, what are the consequences? Well, I might be dead. That's one bad consequence. So that's quite high severity. It could be very high severity. And what about in, an example in the bondage world? Let's say the risk is getting a bruise from a rope scene. What's the likelihood? I would say it's fairly high especially if I'm the one tying. <laughs> uh, but some individuals bruise easily and some almost never bruise. So your likelihood kind of depends on what kind of body you're walking around in. And then the severity is going to be low for most people, depending on where the bruise is located. Because if it's a bruise on your face, for mm. instance, can be a bit of a social handicap or a problem at work. But also consider that a bruise being seen by the wrong person in the wrong context could actually create a big problem. Like say you have someone who doesn't want to know about your kinky activities, they see a bruise in bed, they might not like it. Or someone might see a bruise and think you've been a victim of abuse and report it to the authorities and then you have a lot of paperwork to deal with. 
All right, so that's risk. And then what about the other half of this, mitigation? What does that mean? Mitigation is simply reducing those two aspects of the risk. So it can be reducing the likelihood. I'm going to reduce the percentage chance that this will happen. Or it could be reducing the impact. I'm going to put some systems in place so that if it does happen, I know what to do and I can make it better, easier. All right. Um, so that's uh, some good context. So how do we mitigate risk? We first start by knowing more about it, knowing what the risk is, how it's going to show up, what are its root causes, and to get to the root cause, we can play the ask why five times game. Tell us a bit about that. All right, so I'm going to say something and you ask me why five times. Okay. okay. Uh, yesterday, the guy at the party fell down from the suspension frame. Why? Uh, the rope he was suspended from was a single point and it was, it broke, the, the upline broke. Why? It was an upline made of six millimeter jute and it had been in use for two or three years already probably. Why? The person who was doing the suspension forgot their rope kit and they had to borrow the dungeon's practice kit that was in the back cupboard. Why? Because the party was announced at the last minute and they didn't have time to get their stuff out of storage. Because the admins of the King group were having a fight and it took them a really long time to agree on the ticket price. And so they only put it up the day before. So how does that help us um, mitigate the risks in this scenario? I think it can allow us to see hidden causes that contributed to something happening. And what's interesting is you realize a risk is rarely a single person's fault. Like you can attribute, you can share responsibility for the risk between many individuals, between environmental factors, like it was dark, it was noisy. And playing this game can allow you to broaden your perception of risk as opposed to, well, I fucked up, it's all on me, but I don't really know what I did wrong, so how would I do it differently next time? Okay, so it's like exploring. So it's not like the last why. Yeah, they the all, all the answers are important, uh -huh. not just the last one. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible. And for that, we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast. Then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. Um, so how else can we uh, mitigate risk in this area of knowing uh, about the risk? We can simply increase our level of general rope bondage education by going to classes, if we can, watching them online, listening to a really good podcast <laughs> about rope bondage, Maya, reading online many websites, and try to get several perspectives on everything and sort of average them out rather than talking to one person and taking that as the word of God. Okay. And are there any particular areas that help us in rope bondage mitigate risks, particularly in knowledge? Certainly, knowledge of human anatomy doesn't hurt because we are playing with nerves, blood vessels, airways, all kinds of bits of the human body. So the more we know about it, and likewise, first aid, if we break something, know a bit more about how to fix it, certainly doesn't hurt. And then knowing your tools, what are the different types of rope, how much weight can they take safely, 
how do you analyze a hard point to see if you might want to play with it or not, and so on and so forth. All right. What else can we do to mitigate risk? We can have a plan. Oh, we love a plan. We love a plan. We have a bit of a planning fetish, if we're being honest. We do, we do. So first of all, to have a plan for a risk, how will we know if this risk did in fact happen? Okay, so can you give me an example in rope bondage? I can give you a very good example in rope bondage, I believe, which is nerve damage. If you don't check for it, it is easy for it to go undetected for hours. So you could make a habit, for instance, of checking your hands after rope every time with a certain set of motions that are designed to check for the radial nerve, median and ulnar. Uh, and even for sensory, just running your fingers over the back of your hand can mm-hmm. pick out numb spots. Yeah, touching yourself after rope, as we call it. <laughs> All right. And, and how can we research having a plan, like the right way to have a plan? A good idea is to have trusted resources, resources that we already validated as being useful sources of information about rope bondage. And that can be online, that can be our friends, that can be any number of things. That can be educators that we can reach out to and send them a message. That's also very helpful. Um, And what else do we need to include in this plan? Well, I think it's a lot easier to agree in advance about what we're going to do about a certain risk than try to decide in the heat of the moment when something very stressful and potentially traumatic has just happened. Mm -hmm. So when we're spooked, when we're panicked, when we're feeling guilty, it's not our best time to make life-altering decisions. Mm, mm. So if we talk about it before, okay, Maya, we're going to do this suspension on this bridge, which is a bit dodgy. If you fall and hurt yourself, what are we going to do? Which hospital are we going to go to? Am I going to drive you in my car or are we going to call an ambulance? How are we going to share the cost of the healthcare you might need? This mm. sort of thing. Yeah, I think an if this, then this plan of action is very helpful. And then the last step is the preparedness of having the necessary tools on hand. So that could be medical supplies, that could be the contact information of the right people, and so on and so forth. And the main example of that would be have a cutting tool. Know where it is, know how to use it, and have it be a cutting tool that is safer for your bottom, that has a lower risk of injuring your bottom as you cut them out of rope. And know when to cut and when not to cut. All right. So that starts taking us into some more concrete rope-specific risks. So can you tell us a bit, uh, give the listeners an idea of the kind of risks that they might want to look out for? I have a specific list that I call the Big Five. And I put them in order of the highest severity to the lowest severity. All right, talk us through them. What's number one? My number one is breathing. Yeah, that seems important. I would call the severity of this one extreme because human beings who are unable to breathe die very quickly. All right. And just a few minutes without oxygen is enough to cause permanent brain damage. That is scary stuff, Maya. So how are we going to mitigate this potential for not breathing? There's many strategies that are possible depending on your individual risk profile. So everyone's going to need to sit down with themselves and sit down with their partner and have a really serious talk about how much risk we want to take with this stuff. Because let's face it, choking play can be fun, but it's fucking dangerous. So dangerous. So one thing you could decide is to choose to stay away from neck rope altogether, for example. Mm. 
But also keep in mind, tightrope on the chest or even the abdomen can also impact the ability to breathe. Yeah, when we've done the moon tie, I found that particularly difficult to uh, breathe and you become very exhausted mm -hmm. and so it becomes harder and harder. Yeah. Then I would say always monitor the person in rope very closely because in the example you give, if you were left on your own in that moon tie, you could slowly asphyxiate from the position. Yeah. And if no one is paying attention to you, even if you are in a party with 40 people, you could pass out. Super important and connected to the previous point. If you are someone who enjoys self-bondage, please, for the love of God, like just do it for me, if not for yourself. <laughs> do not self-tie without another person present. Like Make sure there's someone that can come to your help if something goes wrong during a self-bondage experience. A vast majority of BDSM-related deaths are people who have an accident during self-bondage. Please, 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 please don't be the next one in the news. Mm. It would break my heart. And then we mentioned it already, having an emergency cutting tool and knowing where it is, being really quick to get to it if we need it. So that means it's not on the trunk of the car that's parked a block away. It's mm. like either on my belt or hanging from the wall where I can see it. And in the same place, so you always know where Same it is. place every time. And if someone takes it, they put it back. And we know that the cutting tool is still working. It's not like all rusty, all broken, all dull. I want to be able to get from spotting the problem to having the rope cut within 10 seconds. All right. If we're going to play with breathing. So what's the second of your big five? The second is falling. Gravity can be a bitch. A killer. A killer, indeed. Uh, it's possible to break your neck or crack your skull, which can be pretty serious. And in other cases, it can be just really unpleasant to break a leg or a wrist or something like that. Mm. Uh, the likelihood of that risk will depend a lot on the kind of bondage that is being done. Obviously, any kind of suspension has a higher risk of falling than something that's entirely happening while you lay down on the floor. Uh, but it's also very much possible to fall just from standing and like have your arms tied up and being walking around or God, God help you walking down some stairs mm -hmm. with your arms in bondage. You're very quickly going to realize how much your body needs the arms to balance. Yeah, it's fascinating. It re you really do. Mm. And you can also fall from a line failing. So that's something you could mitigate with using a type of fiber that you know to be a bit more resistant. Uh, you could fall from your heart point failing. So make sure you trust the heart point, know how it's been rigged, know the materials involved, how much it's being used and so on. And then to prevent falls that have to do more with skills and body manipulation, practicing your coming down and going up, maybe having a crash mat under the bottom so that if they do fall, it will absorb a lot of the damage. And yeah, not, uh, not letting a tied up person move around on their own, like always have someone spotting them or, or holding them so they don't fall. And you might use a spotter in uh, difficult lifts or difficult yep. lowerings. like. And I've certainly them. done that in the past at parties. I've asked a couple people to stand by and help me for just this part of the scene where I know a dangerous lift is happening. And once I give them the thumbs up that this part is done, they can go about their business again. And just again, make sure that you've negotiated that with your bottom so that they understand if someone who is not their rigor is going to be touching them. Mm -hmm. 
All right, what's number three of your big five? Number three is one of our great sadnesses of rope bondage, but it's a reality we have to face, and that is nerve damage, Maya. Mm. So what about the severity of that? It can vary a lot. A nerve impingement could last anywhere from an hour to permanent damage. Mm. So you might lose the use of one of your hands permanently as a consequence of doing rope, and that sucks terribly. That's pretty intense. Sensory nerve damage tends to be on the more annoying side, whereas motor nerve damage is truly life-altering in some cases. You might find yourself unable to do your job. Mm -hmm. All right, and how likely is it? There is limited data on nerve damage with rope bondage because, sadly, it's not a very well-researched area. But there seems to be a pretty strong pattern that certain ties are more often the cause of nerve damage to certain body parts. And the most likely from the polling data we have would be TKs causing radial nerve damage. That seems to be the most common rope injury. Over than 80% of rope injuries reported seem to be damage to the arm nerve from a TK. But that also speaks to how much people tie TKs. TKs and love mm-hmm. them. Then you have wrist single columns creating problems in the hand, mostly sensory problems. And strapados also can be a big offender of causing nerve damage to the arms. Mm. The arms are very delicate. The arms are delicate. And arm bondage can be very sexy because it's very good to provoke a feeling of vulnerability, helplessness. But it's definitely on the riskier side. So how can we mitigate this? Because it seems really critical. One thing we can do is learn as much as we can about nerve anatomy. Know what the brachial plexus is know the pathway of the radial nerve in your partner and that's one of the challenges because there is very big individual variation in the pathway of nerves Uh, and for instance the latfem cut i found recently has a huge range of possible Mm. variations on its position with regards to the iliac spine and so if you think, oh, I'm always going to tie on the same spot, everyone and everyone's going to be okay, sadly, that's not the case. And the placement that works super well for you, Maya, might cause an injury in another bottom. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn about an anatomy, but also about the particular human in front of us. Absolutely. Then we choose ties that are within our risk profile, and that could be crossing off some patterns altogether or adapting them mm-hmm. to fit within our risk profile. So, for instance, someone might say they're okay with TKs, but they do not want upper canukis because they believe the upper canukis have a high risk of injuring the brachial, the brachial plexus. We can have a system of check-ins during the bondage, keeping in mind it's not a silver bullet because some problems don't actually appear during the bondage and are only detectable after. But still, it's better to have than not. And as a bottom, do you self-monitor for nerve damage, Maya? I do as much as possible. Sometimes you can't move, and so you, mm-hmm. you it's harder to check in on sensory nerve damage, for example. But I tend to be more risk-averse, Okay. and so I don't tie TKs uh, yeah. because I want to be in rope a long time. And I tend to give feedback to come down sooner rather than later because I need my hands to do my job. Yeah, and from the rigor side, another really important point. When a bottom asks to come down or uses their safe word to be brought down, 
Don't fuck around. Don't say, yeah, one minute, I'm just taking one more photo. No. When someone says, I need to come down, they need to come down now. Mm. So the process of bringing them down starts immediately. And as a bottom, try and remember that it might take uh, more than a minute to get you down, depending on what you're tied in. And so you might need to safe word or ask to come down a bit earlier than is your maximum limit. Okay, because yeah, if it's going to take five minutes to take you down, make sure you have five minutes left in you. Exactly. All right, number four, Maya, I call inability to defend. Oh, okay. Rob bondage is often used to create a situation of helplessness mm, in the person. Like the vulnerability. That is definitely part of the attraction, but that means you are indeed going to be helpless to defend yourself in cases like there's a fire. Someone knocked down those beautiful candles and now the room's <laughs> on fire. Uh, there could be some kind of water problem like this. Some, I mean, we live or in Or you're Thailand. doing water bondage. Or you're doing water bondage and you're in water while you're unable to swim up on your own because your arms are tied up. That could be extreme temperatures, either too hot or too cold, and you can't cover yourself or protect yourself from the elements. There could be dangerous animals of any kind. Ants. Bees. Ants. Ants. Yeah, you've had some bad experiences with ants when we've tied up ants, yeah. There tends to be many large ants (laughs) on Thai trees. They really do. Ah. And sadly, that's not all. There could be humans with bad intentions. Mm. And that could be someone that is external to your scene. If you're at a dungeon. Someone's being super inappropriate and walking in and fondling you while you're tied up. That's a horrible experience. Or even worse, your top, the person tying you could break your trust. Mm. And that is one of the worst things. So how are we going to mitigate against this? We are going to try to scout our environment and highlight the potential risks. Oh, Maya, I noticed that this beautiful tree we had decided to tie you to for a nice photo actually has a giant hornet's nest on the other side. Maybe we should choose a different tree. Different tree, different tree. (laughs) Uh, We can have spotters and friends to look after us while we are incapacitated. So we'd sort of delegate our safety to people we trust. We could try to play in safer spaces where hopefully people are looking out for our safety. So somewhere like a jam, somewhere that employs uh, dungeon monitors might be a better choice than going to someone we don't know's house and or tying in their hotel room we've ne- when we've never met them before. And, and can- then lastly, I think it's useful to have a good strategy for vetting partners. So can you explain a bit what vetting partners is? Uh, vetting partners is gathering some information from other people where you can to understand a bit about the person's tying style, about their safety, um, and yeah, finding out more about them rather than just taking them on their word. Okay. And lastly, Maya, I have circulation. So this is number five. Number five, as in blood circulation. All right. Tell us about the severity of that. I put it at number five because in my personal experience of bondage, it's actually reasonably mild for most people because we don't usually leave people in bondage for many hours on end. And if you think about it, even a medical tourniquet you can probably leave on for an hour or two without endangering the limb. And most bondage is going to be a lot less tight than a tourniquet, I would hope. Mm. And also, yeah, most of my scenes last maybe 30 minutes to an hour in the rope. And that's much shorter durations where 
the slight decrease in blood circulation is not going to be a big deal for most people. Mm, and I having, want to insist on the for most people. Because having said that, there are some health conditions that might increase the risk here. Absolutely. If you have certain conditions, such as Raynaud's disease, or diabetes, or all manners of circulatory issues, you really want to inform your partner and maybe get an opinion from your doctor before you play with bondage. All right. And, and also, if you're on certain medications that, in particular, affect blood clotting, then it might be a really bad idea to stay in the same position for a long time because you could develop a blood clot that could then um, cause a stroke. All right. So how do we mitigate circulation issues? We mitigate, first of all, by knowing the relevant health conditions of the person being tied. So we need to talk with our words and agreeing on a maximum time limit for the bondage, maybe. So you could set an alarm on your phone and when that alarm goes off, it means it's time to come out of the nice rope. You can have a clear system for communicating when you're going to come out. And as you said, work in the buffer to make sure you work in the untying time in your total time in bondage. And then lastly, once again, having the ability to cut rope in an emergency. So risks up, but it does seem that we can't really enjoy rope bondage without being aware of them. I think so. We're trying to be smart about risk, but that also includes not kidding ourselves and pretending like the risk isn't there. The risk is always going to be there and we're always going to have to deal with it. And let's face it, in some ways, risk and danger are a part of what makes rock bondage sexy. Yeah, there's a thrill. Mm. Definitely. The more data we collect about bad outcomes in bondage, the more we can grow our knowledge and prevent future accidents. So, dear listeners, if you have anything to contribute in, on that topic, Please consider helping with the various research questionnaires and incident report databases, and that can help all of us in the rope community. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying. <laughs>